is uh, case 12 from <coughs> the book of equanimity. Dijang planting, planting the fields. The introduction. Scholars plow with a pen. <coughs> Orators plow with the tongue. We, patchwork mendicants, lazily watch the white ox on open ground, not paying attention to the rootless, auspicious grass. How to pass the days? The case. Dijang asked Zuishan, where do you come from? Zuishan said, from the south. Dijang said, how is Buddhism in the south these days? Zuishan said, there is extensive discussion. Dijang said, how can that compare to me here planting the fields and making rice to eat? Zhuishan said, what can you do about the world? And Dijang said, what do you call the world? The verse. Source and explanation variously are all made up. Passing to ear from mouth, it comes apart. Planting fields, making rice, ordinary household matters. Only those who have investigated to the full would know. Having investigated to the full, you clearly know there is nothing to seek. Ji Fang, after all, did not care to be in fifth as a marquis. Forgetting his state, he returned, same as fish and birds. Washing his feet in the Changlang, the hazy water of autumn. What do you call the world? We remember in our list of miscellaneous koans, we encounter a statement from the Diamond Sutra that says, It is not the world. Therefore, it is called the world. Which means it is precisely because it is not. We need to understand and embody this is and is not. This statement. We need to investigate personally. What does it mean? How is something that appears to be negation is there to, to shed light, actually. When we think about what we call the world, we may envision a volatile reality that consists of people, animals, trees, mountains, rivers, cities, countries, and so on. We find that what we can relate to is an existence that comes into form, stays here for a little while in that form, and disintegrates completely over time. And since we each are also subjected to the same condition as everything else in the world, we are kind of a microcosmos of what we need to investigate. And so what Zen is asking us to study is always available, tangible, and intimately reachable. It's not far away. It's not a study that appears in a book a course, and it's not accumulated. 
So with the realization or maybe recognition that we each are a microcosmos of the universe, we can understand that common question, where are you from? Right? In Zen, this was a very common question among these Zen masters in China who consider that a probing pole to test the level of the newcomer's understanding, understanding of the Dharma. As you would walk around with a long stick or pole before passing, before crossing a river, you would stick it in to check how deep the water is. That would be a probing pole. So where are you coming from is asking you, us, how intimately do you understand your origin? And if you do understand that, how genuinely can you express that understanding? You know, Dogen's famous words, to study the ways, to study the self, are directing us to investigate the one who is blinking the eyes and sitting on this cushion. How valuable is it, and yet, how quickly and commonly we run away and turn away from it. But even when we turn away from it, is there an escape? Can you really escape? Even if you choose to not study and investigate the self, do you avoid it? Neither way, there's no way to avoid dealing with consequences of choices and there's no way to not make a choice. To choose to not do something is not to not make a choice. Umon once said to his monks, the world is vast and wide like this, why do we put on our robes at the sound of the bell? It's a very clear way to point at an open reality that allows you to make choices and go on in any direction, go any way you want. But if we think that this vastness means it doesn't matter what we choose to do, we misunderstand Uman's investigation or Uman's invitation to investigate. We also misunderstand the words of the Diamond Sutra. It is not the world, therefore it is called the world. If you close your hand, make a fist, you create a weapon that can kill in the service of hatred. If you open up the hand, it becomes an implement that can offer help in the service of love. Same hand, different choices. Same with the hand of thought. When the hand of thought is closed, we encounter entanglements, insecurities, stinginess, fear, anxiety. When the hand of thought opens up, there is flow, generosity, trust, and a natural state of contentment and humility. Natural state. And think of these two states of being in relation to the state of our world. Obviously, actions are born out of our actions that will be born out of an open hand will result in a sane reality that encourages cooperation and harmony. On the other side of that, actions that are born out of a fisted hand will result in an insane world that creates an environment for hatred and violence. As in what we are dealing with, with having over 60 million refugees wandering around 
without a home. Right? And if we think that such hor horrific actions or results originate somewhere else other than our own hearts, then we have to think again. You know, being microcosmos of the world means their suffering is our suffering. Maybe we have to think of it as having a toe in Syria, an ear in Iraq, and a nose in the U.S. We're very spread out. And that's us. One vast reality of many appearances. So on the level of it is not the world, it doesn't matter what choices we make and, what, and also what consequences we have to deal with. Nothing matters, simply because there is nothing there. An empty sky does not differentiate, judge, or discriminate, ever. How could it? Someone says it's like trying to nail jello to the wall. It's not happening. But on the level of, therefore, we call it the world, how you choose to be in this world matters greatly. And then the consequences are grave. That's why we choose to be on this spiritual path. That's why we take on the precepts and need to do our best to uphold them, even at times we encounter great inner resistance. And we do encounter great inner resistance. We even study that in the precept study. And as a Dharma teacher, I understand, I do understand how challenging it is to keep up with spiritual practice. And like many other teachers, over the years I've had students who were very committed, at some point dropped out. And as much as, and I mentioned it to someone this past week, as much as it saddened me to say goodbye, I do, I practice and teach with a clear understanding that the door must be kept open. Actually, for the practice to be more conducive, we have to understand that we always have a choice to not be, to not practice, to do something else. And when we choose to be here, when we have a choice to do something else, we go deep. Now, if, you, if I would strap you to the cushion and tell you that you have to be here, I will rob you of realization. So we have to keep the door open. The world is infinitely vast and open, big, wide. What would you like to pour into it? When we dump toxins on the ground and we end up serving our family vegetables with high toxicity level. When we take care of the soil and give it the right nourishment, the fruit and vegetable we have, we will grow, have higher nutritional value and will taste a lot better too. I remember years ago I was in New Zealand traveling and uh, I, was, I was biking actually. And we ended up at this uh, farm where they had orchards and we stayed there overnight and I picked up an apple from the tree 
very red apple. And I've, I remember to this day, it was about maybe over 30 years ago, and I remember that it was bursting with flavor. I have never tasted such a thing ever since then. And uh, it was all so vivid. It's almost like you see the colors of the apple when you eat it. It's, it's, it's hard to describe. Actually impossible to describe unless you take a bite yourself. It makes a difference. What we do, we eat what we do in a way. So we eat the consequences of our actions. In this dialogue, Zwishan said he's from the south. So Dijang asked him, how is Buddhism there? And Zwishan said, there is extensive discussion. And the footnote says, lower your voice. There is extensive discussion, but yet, lower your voice. Right? There's always extensive discussion all around the globe. Right? We talk about what's the right choice and what, what, should, what should we do and which direction should we go. But the actual choosing how to conduct ourselves in what we call the world is action-oriented. We can sit around the table to discuss and contemplate compassion for a very long time. And it may feel great. It may feel very enlightening to discuss and talk about it. And yet, it has nothing to do with compassion. That's why doing Deeparajna Paramita and not talking about it. That's why there is a huge gap between conceptualizing and actualizing. So lower your voice. Keep quiet. And also lower your voice is again an invitation to examine, to investigate fully what actions, what choices are you making? What direction do you want to go towards. I was just talking to Keiji in Dokusan about how we're always on some kind of a trajectory. Always. And then we have to ask, you know, what direction do I want to go? What kind of world do I want to live in? So Dijang then said, how can this extensive talk compare to me here planting the field and making rice to eat? And the footnote says, don't brag so much. Right? Action is best followed by action rather than more discussion. For Lehman Pang, practice was chopping wood carrying water. What is practice for you, for us? What is it? What is it made of? Maybe some of you do chop wood and carry water, but for most of us, it's holding a job, raising a family, taking care of the house, maintenance, paying the bills on time, daily interactions with other people, and then the emotional component of everyday life, which comes as sadness, regrets, loneliness, anger, and moments of happiness and contentment too. This is the practice. It's all the practice. 
This is chopping wood carrying water. But is it the practice? You see, being the practice does not mean it is the practice for each of us. You know, maybe conceptually we understand that we practice what we do. Everything in our life is practice, but ask yourself, am I doing it in that manner? Because to practice something means to hone and sharpen and go deep. Do we live our life this way? But then you may ask, well, isn't that what everybody else is doing and experiencing? Does that mean that everybody is a practitioner of the way? Everybody is raising a family, paying the bills, taking care of the house. So what's the difference? As practitioners, we choose to elevate everything to the level of practice and we choose to actively care for the way life shows up by being present, open and embracing, by not rejecting. To choose to practice doesn't come automatically. We have to make a choice to practice what shows up, whether we like it or not. Actually, that's the irrelevant aspect of it. So seemingly, your day may look just like another ordinary day as your neighbor. But as an experience, as an experience, the ordinary becomes extraordinary just by paying attention and dropping away. Which means getting out of our own way and honor life more than honoring the self. Or maybe seeing that honoring life is honoring the self. And that's how we enter a world of non-duality. Through action. Only through action. There's a story about Zwishan when he first arrived at Dijang's monastery. He was traveling with a few other Dharma brothers and they ended up staying there for a few days because of a snowstorm that blocked their travel path. So as they stood there around the fireplace to warm up, they had a discussion about the Dharma. Again, extensive discussion. Dijang was close by, but for some reason they ignored his presence. Not very nice, but they did. So he was listening to the dialogue and at some point he approached them and said, there is something I would like to ask, if I may. Zwishan said, if there is some matter to ask, please do so. So Dijang asked, are mountains, rivers and earth identical or separate from you elders? And Zwishan said, separate. Dijang then held up two fingers. And Zhuishan quickly said, identical, identical. Dijang then held up two fingers and left the room. So one of the other travelers, other Dhamma brothers asked, what did the abbot mean by holding up two fingers? Zhuishan said, he was doing so arbitrarily. And the other monk, Fayan said, 
Don't insult him. Rijan replied, Are there elephant tasks in a rat's mouth? Obviously, insulting him, belittling him. Didn't think much of Dijon at that moment. The next day, as they were about to get back on the road, Rishan himself said to the other travelers, You guys go ahead and I'll catch up with you later. There may be some point to the words of this abbot. It's interesting how something in him knew that he has to stay and stop talking and maybe listen a little bit more. Eventually, actually, stayed there and studied with Dijon for a very long time. And the others also came back and became students of Dijon. On another incident, the monk asked Dijon, what is Dijon's single phrase? Dijon said, if I tell you, if I tell you, it will turn into two phrases. And that's what happens. That's what happens when we engage in too much discussion. Exactly what happens. You see, when it's time to make dinner, just make dinner. When it's time to pay the bills, just pay the bills. When it's time to sit zazen, just sit in zazen. Any discussion or debate, whether it's internal or external, and a lot of it is internal. I think that most of the discussion is internal rather than external. Because if it wasn't this way, there would not be so much discussion. We would be at peace. We would be content. The, the outer world, what we call the outer world, is only a reflection of the turmoil that we experience within. Which actually means that to solve the outer turmoil, we need to turn towards the inner turmoil. We need to recognize the inner conflicts. So any discussion or debate, whether it's internal or external, will only create divisions between the world and the world. That's why he held two fingers. He held up two fingers. And that's why he said, if I tell you, it will make it two. You talk about it, you separate. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You know, it's like giving an answer to a koan. Maybe the same words as somebody else. Or two people may be using exact same words. One is saying it with an understanding, the other one is not saying it with an He's saying it from a non-understanding. So not necessarily. There's a lot of power in focusing on one thing at a time in a selfless way. Tremendous amount of power. Just one thing. But how you focus on one thing is what makes the difference. Is it one that includes the other? Or is it one that is between what's before and what's after? It's very important. How you do what you do 
far more important than what you do. How you do. The verse says, source and explanation variously are all made up. All made up. And the practice itself, what we call the practice, is also made up. It's made up because it's made up as a, as a way for us to skillfully address what we need to address, to guide us back to ourselves. So we create what we create, and we call it practice. But in reality, there is no gap down, no, there's no separation between what we call everyday life and what we call practice. Chopping wood, carrying water. It says, passing to ear, to ear from mouth, it comes apart. The moment you talk about it, you separate. Actually, passing to ear from mouth has two meanings. One of them is when you start to talk about it with other people, you already separate. When you start to tell others, here's what I've done. Here's what I'm proud of. Here's what I think you need to do. The other is what's called a three-inch scholar, which is a three-inch, which is the gap between the ear and the mouth, which means there's no embodiment. Sometimes people hear something, they think it's very wise, and then they go talking about it or posting it on Facebook which means it goes exactly, directly from the ear to the mouth or to the finger without any embodiment. No action. Planting fields, making rice, ordinary household matters. Only those who have investigated to the full would know. And this is the heart of this, is always the heart of any koan or anything we do, those who have investigated to the full would know. Having investigated to the full, you clearly know there is nothing to seek. Having investigated to the full, you know that it's always been this way. You know that home is here. And then you're at peace with it. Ji Fang, after all, did not care to be in fifth as a marquee. That's word, in fifth. I looked it up. Not a very common word. It's actually a word from uh, feudal times where a person, for doing good deeds, received uh, many households and a lot of land. Now, this is a story about some guy who did what he did but did not want anything for it. He did what he did as a self-fulfilling action. Or he burned himself in the action, realizing that there's no need for a reward. That's why the footnote said about Ji Fang's statement, don't brag so much. 
should not be proud for doing one thing at a time. You should not be proud for sitting. You should not be proud for anything. Forgetting his state, he returned, same as fish and birds, washing his feet in the Changlang, the hazy waters of autumn. Uh, the Changlang, this is also from a, it's from a fisherman's song. It says, when the waters of Changlang are clear, I can wash my tassels, wash my robe. When the waters of Changlangs are muddy, I can wash my feet. Big difference, right? When the, water's, when the water is muddy, everyday life, hazy moon, chaotic, that's where we live. This is our life. This is our practice. It consists of everything. Whatever it is rejecting, anything you reject is rejecting what you're looking for. And that's hard to come by. It's hard to, I think it's hard to comprehend and agree with. It says here that even though planting the field and making rice is ordinary, unless you investigate it to the full, you don't know their import. You don't know the gold that is, that you're sitting on, that is always available. The ancients would rip and boiled chestnuts and rice at the edge of a hoe in a broken-legged pot. Deep in the mountains, their fortune was no more than contentment. All their lives, they never sought from anyone. Their nobility was no more than purity and serenity. What need is there for bushels and emblems? Is it enough? Is it enough? You know, and because we're not sure if it's enough or because we're not settled on, yeah, this works, then occasionally we experience feelings of doubt about the practice itself. And we may wonder, is it worth it? Is it worth the time you put in? Right? And, you know, thoughts like this do enter our minds. We have to admit that. They do enter, but they also move on. They come and go. So do we allow thoughts like that to determine our choices? Or do we just keep going, keep deepening in the midst of such thinking, in the midst of resistance? You know, to investigate fully means to watch how your mind works. Also to watch what it leads you to. You know, the restlessness we feel and we experience, we all experience restlessness, is looking for ways to feed itself. So when you find yourself browsing the internet for no particular reason, that's exactly why you're doing it. Because the restlessness is looking to graze on something that it finds palatable. 
an hour or two later, you realize, I just wasted an hour or two. I feel depleted, I feel more tired, I feel more empty and more restless. So maybe I should go watch a movie instead. Right? And that's what it does. It always pushes us to, to make choices. But unless we intercept that and make choices in the midst of that, not when it is calm and peaceful, precisely when we feel agitated, then we make a choice. And it's like a muscle. It actually gets stronger and stronger. And you have to ask yourself, what seeds do I want to feed? What seeds do I want to nourish today? Or what seeds have I nourished? Because right now, we are all reaping the, the fruits, vegetables, of the seeds we sow yesterday and the day before. The fact that we are here shows that we, are, we have been watering specific seeds. And that's not, that's no small matter. Because it takes courage. So resistance is not a problem. Don't make it into a problem. To recognize, then to move on to cultivating a strong intention to practice, right? And the question, what do you do with the world, is an open question. It's an open question, and we have to keep it open. What do you call the world? What you call the world is, well, is showing up. Right? It's showing up through your actions. It's showing up through the consequences of what you have done, or what you're doing now. That is the world. Right? Because it is not the world, it is called the world. Right? So don't forget that it is not called anything. It is not called anything. Whatever you dump in it, it will take, it will embrace. There's a huge responsibility. Practice is, actually, responsibility. It's not something that makes us feel good. Or it's not something that addresses our six senses, our desires. It does, but not in the way we want it to. Actually, it does. So let this question echo in your mind and guide you to water the right seeds. If you hone a discipline to water seeds of love and compassion, then there will be more flowers of love and compassion. If you slack off and allow old habits to rule, then different kinds of seeds will grow. There's no avoiding. There's no avoiding. So with that we end today with a question of what 
would you like to call the world today? 